Welcome to the Wonders of Thetis podcast, your one-stop shop for all your Dragon Age role-playing game needs. My name is Ren, and with us today, of course, we have... Uh, hi guys, it's Andy again. Welcome back, Andy, from Blackfall Press. <laughs> My pleasure, brother. It's always great to be on. Yes, always great to have you on. Uh, Jessica will not be joining us today, uh, so thank you for coming on, Andy. We always appreciate it. I always seem to end up uh, end up missing her. We are two ships passing in the night. <laughs> Apparently so. That's just the way. Well, uh, we're just going to go ahead and get right into it. Uh, this time we, of course, had a poll. Again, what we talk about, uh, we're talking about backgrounds. The theme this time was Commoners of Thetis. Want to talk about the normal people of Thetis and give us a chance to maybe visit a, uh, a country we hadn't talked about just yet. Um, and uh, coming out in the front was the Free Marcher, and I'm excited because I like the Free Marches. Yes, and there's there's so much in that area that just hasn't been dug into in the games themselves that it's it, it's just oh, yeah. rich for opportunity. Absolutely. Definitely a lot of opportunity for uh, for adventuring there because not a lot of it has been fleshed out, which means that if it's your campaign, you know, you can say whether or not, uh, I don't know, Tantervale really is as dour as it sounds. And uh, or maybe Wycombe uh, it really is the party city of Thetis. But, well, you know, we'll get into that stuff. Uh, exciting stuff. We're really uh, uh, we took a quick look. I took a quick look at all the marcher cities, and we're going to be going over them all. And it's going to be a good time. Oh yeah. So uh, why don't we start with a quick this week in Thetis? You aren't worried. I'll just make it up as I go. Not at all. You'll need to hear the whole story. All right. This week in Thetis, uh, if you haven't noticed, uh, the Fantasy Age Companion is out in print, kind of. Uh, by which I mean uh, pre-orders for the book have been going out. I actually got my physical copy, and I'm super excited. Very nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, of course, the Fantasy Age Companion is not a Dragon Age book, but uh, we will probably be talking about this book later because there's a lot of really juicy stuff in it and a lot of stuff that could be used for Dragon Age if uh, if appropriated correctly. Yeah, just a couple uh, of tweaks couple of- and you have a whole mm-hmm. variety of stuff at your disposal right there. Definitely. we got There's a couple of specializations that could work very well, like Gladiator or Pirate or <laughs> Ra- uh, the Razor one is really cool. I liked it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking immediately Isabella, Cole, alright we got this <laughs> sweet uh, and of course they they have rules for things like chases and uh, vehicle vehicular combat which is you know, you know always fun stuff and even some ways to tweak the game on a fundamental level to make it maybe a bit more deadly or maybe less deadly or a bit more cinematic but you know, all of it could work for Dragon Age, depending on your campaign, but we'll probably talk about that some other time. Uh, I would not be surprised to see uh, it show up on a poll, maybe later in the future. It might keep beating out uh, grenades and poisons. <laughs> um, I really love those topics. I'm really excited to get to them, but, you know, in good time, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I sure, at least they I sure hope so. They will have their day sometime. Um, 
<laughs> Unless I keep adding more interesting topics to the to the poll. All right. Well, uh, now that we've seen what's going on in Thetis, why don't we take a look at our codex? You can ask me questions if you like. I'm not sure why you'd want to, but... Oh, good. Thank you. I'm going to regret this, aren't I? Welcome to the Codex. We've got a couple. We've got a couple of quick questions to get through this time, uh, so we'll just hop right in. Uh, from Michael, who uh, formerly was known as M. Garrett, uh, he apologizes. He was not signing his emails, but that's okay. We appreciate it. Appreciate the questions either way. So, uh, Michael's first question was: When it comes to the vicious beast form spell, what would you think are examples of forms to take, and what forms are too complex for the spell? The description in the core rulebook explains a high dragon and a Vartaral form is too complex, emphasizing your statement of Flemeth being her own background. But what about wyverns, insect swarms, glowing slimes, or a werewolf? As a level 20 character, what beast form would come close to represent that level? That is a, that's a lot this to is a, there. It is. It's a tricky one. Um, I would actually, especially for folks who want to play shapeshifters, I would also recommend checking out the Fantasy Age Bestiary because they have a huge list of regular animals that you can turn into. Uh, they would have to, of course, be adjusted a little bit so that they fit into Dragon Age because the stats are a little different, but not that different that it's impossible. Well, given the given the examples that we have here, you know, they mention obviously the High Dragon, the, the Vartaral, it's you know, those are inherently magical creatures where, you know, they have something yes. going on by themselves. I mean, Vartaral aren't even natural creatures. They're more like golems, from what I understand. So right. within those, yeah, obviously you're outside your bounds. I... If you mm -hmm. if you have a if you have a player that's like that is actively pursuing shapeshifter and wants that to be part of who their character is and and part of their regular combat options, I might actually just sit down with that player and say, okay, what what are the forms that you're looking to take on? What are, what are going to be your mm -hmm. default things? Like, let's pick one that is your, you know, beefed out armored form, maybe something like a Gurn. Um, and then what, Ooh, what do you yeah. want? What type of animal do you want to move really quickly? You know, what type, uh, let's pick one flying animal that is your default form. That way mm -hmm. they can pull those stats before you sit down to the table, that way there's a lot less flipping through books. There's a lot less, oh, well, what do I turn into? Well, I need to fly. I'm turning into an eagle. Here are my eagle stats. Um, it'll enough. help speed that up. Yes, definitely. Um, it's definitely sitting down and getting a list that can definitely help, especially if the GM needs to look up anything and uh, preferably not at the table. Uh, maybe do this if you can uh, outside of the game, just because looking up the stats and double checking things and even making the stats at table at the table can slow things down a bit, but yeah, kind of common within sense the, stuff, but within the ones that are described in the question here, um, I don't see a wyvern being that, that difficult, especially for a high level character. Uh, definitely I probably wouldn't do an insect swarm considering that's multiple creatures. Mm -hmm. That swarm defense is just a, is a bit much. Yeah, uh, it just seems like, to be outside the outside the realm. Mm -hmm. the, uh, glowing the glowing slime, slime same thing. 
Yeah, I don't know yeah, if I would. It's, I don't know if I would so do that. It's so different to kind of creature. Like, yeah. it's, the physiology has got to be so different that it would just it would just be strange. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, the werewolf, I would probably allow. Um, uh, for a level twenty character, I could definitely uh, see that. Yeah, oh. I probably would even allow that sort of thing at mid levels because what are they truly mm-hmm. gaining here? A degree of regeneration, some claws and a bite attack, maybe an increase to dexterity. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's not a whole lot really being gained over something like flight or the ability to breathe underwater or a really mm-hmm. high armor class or uh, armor rating. So yeah, yeah. So I could see werewolf actually being something more mid range, maybe like a tenth, twelfth level type uh, type shape. Okay, gotcha. It does have that really slick overwhelm stunt. Yeah, that is true. But I mean, that's it's not a game breaker. But it just, it just, you know, because you can't cast spells, you might as well get an extra toy while you're while you're in the beast form. Exactly. So yeah, and of course, uh, bears are always a good choice. And um, if you feel like the player is, or you feel like uh, they're not quite beefy enough, you could always maybe add like elite or heroic or epic templates to existing creatures, just so to show you you're turning into exemplary forms of those creatures. Yeah. Um, the Fantasy Age Beast theory also does have stats for a giant squid. <laughs> you know, just throwing that out there. Who it would is, not uh, want it may to be... become a giant squid? <laughs> exactly. Uh, for a 20th level character, I could see it being a good choice because it it's a major threat and it has some uh, pretty slick uh, f- uh, physical abilities. So something to be handled with caution, but could be a fun capstone power for a player to use. <laughs> Uh, I must admit, the only time I've actually run into this uh, was not in a D&D game where you'd figure with druids or, you know, Dragon mm-hmm. Age with the shapeshifter specialization, but was actually in a Deadlands game of all things. Uh, my wife was playing okay. a an Indian shamaness who took the shape change power and ended up had a phenomenal role on her on her power usage and was able to turn into a thunderbird so really awestruck everyone everyone there just for the um i mean in savage worlds in deadlands you know the target number is typically four i think she rolled an 18 so yeah success over success success nice well done Okay, so. so what did you let her turn into? The, that was what she turned into, the Thunderbird, where she's oh, literally yeah, streaking across the sky, f- throwing lightning and <laughs> Sweet. Yep. It was it was a pretty epic session. Oh, man. That's that's pretty slick. Mm-hmm. All right, I like that. So, so um, it looks like uh, Michael has another question here. Um, mm-hmm. says, for incorporeal adversaries such as shades, dwarven apparitions, etc., you can damage them with the spirit bane uh, stunt. How do you explain summoning magic to dam- uh, summoning magic to damage these creatures with someone who is not a mage or has a or has a magical weapon? I think there's an okay. It sounds like this is yeah. Um, I mean, we're to understand that. For spirits, demons, and the like, that's literally fade essence leaking into reality and coalescing around some form. Within mm-hmm. that, to me, it stands like 
fairly reasonable that a practiced warrior or a canny rogue lurking in the shadows, you know, striking out knew just the right instant when that form was corporeal before it shifted back into back into the fade. Okay. I could see that. So, you know, that, that to me is a reasonable in lore uh, type of answer out of game. It's, <laughs> it's meant to, it's meant to even the playing field because, you know, mages aren't yeah, your high damage uh, type characters, especially once mm-hmm. once you start getting the higher levels, they're more battlefield control type characters. So, within that, they do it very well. Yeah, within that, uh, it keeps it keeps those characters from being a oh you're a rogue. I have nothing to worry about here. So, all right, uh, and because not all campaigns will guarantee that Dragon Age characters will get magic items. Uh, this this stat this stunt means that you actually get to fight this thing. Yeah, I mean it's a. I think it's a general poor move as a GM to place the insurmountable enemy in front of your players. There should always be some way of defeating it, even if it's okay. We're yes. going to uh, we're going to skirmish this thing. There's uh, we're down in this dwarven tig. There's a wall of lava over there. Let's find a way to grapple mm-hmm. this. You know envy demon and throw it into the lava rather than actually fighting it. I'm down for that one. Plus drama, you know? Who doesn't want to throw an envy demon into a wall of lava? That'd be the best. Let's see. Yeah, and um, I could see maybe it being done through some kind of like coaching on the mage's part. Um, how uh, um, telling the heroes like uh, don't look at it with your eyes that could make sense um, I recall uh, some of the banter during Dragon Age Inquisition especially with Dorian and Solus mm-hmm. where they're comparing like spell notes uh-huh. and you could maybe just write it off as oh well the mages summon enough an- ambient energy that you you're dagger caught on to you know some of that and managed to actually pierce in pierce through the veil there okay i could see that and uh you know you could also describe it as um their creature they're they're creatures of the fade really and it's a place of uh of will becoming a will becoming real uh and thought and emotion and um you could probably argue that um, in like in the heat of combat, when somebody's trying to uh, attack a demon and it's just not working that, that, uh, that maybe like the mage or maybe like they are, a, 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 I don't know, some coach they had or some teacher they had, or maybe even some weird scholar that they met told them to hold on to that and make it and see and like, te- and like demand that they become real or make them more real. Or maybe it could be like uh, maybe some techniques that the Templars learned uh, early on before they get like the full specialization, because they don't necessarily get magical attacks, right? I don't think they do. Not particularly, but I mean, uh, they get to do a total anathema mm-hmm. to magic. So it, it, even as you know a third level Templar recruit, it's it 
it's within reason to say, okay, you've practiced fighting magic using enemies. You're, you know, you're probably taking lyrium at that point. You know, maybe there's just some mm-hmm. little bit that you managed to catch onto that, you know, dealt some appreciable damage. I, I think mm-hmm. there's just a lot of ways that within the lore, you can, you can explain how that sort of stunt would work. Mm-hmm. Definitely remember recalling a lot of banter from Cole about how uh, when demons appear in the in the real world, uh, they appear monstrous because it's too real and it's too it's it's mm-hmm. it's too much. Um, so that could be so you know exploiting that I guess realness could be the could be the thing that uh, helps the players actually damage them. Yeah, sounds good. I think that's the best we're gonna get. It's it is a tricky one. Um, so take some time to think, uh, you know, maybe, maybe you can just, maybe if the, someone's got a lyrium potion, just pour it on the weapon. Maybe it makes it magical for like a D six rounds or something. That could make sense as well. If you don't want to include this sort of stunt. Right, right. So as a potential alternative, uh, so thank you for the questions, Michael M. Garrett. We appreciate it. Uh, next comes from our, let's see, our goodness. Uh, we still, I think, got like half a dozen questions from this person to get through. We appreciate it, Mark, uh, Mark Natris, through our Facebook page. So we'll just jump right into it because a couple of these are pretty solid. Uh, when an ogre mm-hmm. uses the crush stunt, it doesn't say you can't act, but in the video games, you are helpless as they crush the life out of you. How do you handle them? And uh, I pretty much handle it exactly like that. This is a role-playing game. This isn't a video game where moment to moment decisions tend to be a lot more like snap pressings of the button and pausing of the menu and sending commands to your uh, to your allies. It's more it's it's more uh, directly interactive because you do get to control each uh, each little heartbeat essentially. So, just telling a player that they can't do anything for a turn stinks. Uh, yeah, it's not that, fun. that sort of action denial is really, as a player, that feels good because you have this imaginary adversary. Mm-hmm. You know, the GM's running everybody. And being able to say, oh, there's that horde of Genlocks over there, mind blast. They're not moving this turn. <laughs> Let's focus fire on the you know the emissary mm-hmm. or what have you. And you know on on the mm-hmm. reverse of that, that sucks. <laughs> Going you know potentially turn after turn after turn, effectively not doing oh, yeah. anything. And yeah, stun rolls are pretty ubiquitous in role playing games, but that doesn't mean that they're fun. Correct. Now. If you did want to include something like that, I would definitely like give maybe an opposed uh, strength might test to get out, mm-hmm. or you know provide your allies a stunt that's maybe probably not inexpensive, maybe a two or a three uh, point stunt that is release, where if they hit on their attack, whatever whatever attack that is, they manage to harm it enough that it jars whoever is caught up in the in the crush loose that mm-hmm. they just automatically succeed at that test i don't know if you're actually like looking at the book but that is exactly how they t- treat it in the book i am not actually <laughs> uh, yeah it's uh basically for three stun points they just hold you in place and they deal a d6 1d6 plus nine penetrating damage like every round 
Uh, but they have to do have to spend a major action each round to continue inflicting the damage. So it's not a lot, but it is penetrating damage. Uh, yeah. And it does kind of like and lock your character their, down. And, yes. Yeah. Yeah, if that's their full action, I mean... There's literally the rest of the party just wailing on the wailing on the ogre mm-hmm. while they're crushing the life out of one guy. Yes. That's um, that strains credulity at a certain right. point. Right, uh, and it says you know as a major action you can make a strength, might, or dexterity acrobatics test versus the ogre's strength, might, which is incidentally like got a plus eleven. So um, yeah, good luck on that one. That's a little hateful. Um, but it says an adjacent ally can also perform a special two stunt point stunt to automatically free the victim. Alright, well, that so sounds perfect. like we're you, on the same you page. You got it. <laughs> Nicely done. We have a winner. Uh, All so, right. I'm not Right, I mean, continuing, I, I, how, exactly how you should handle them is, I think, exactly how it's written, is you should let the players keep acting, keep doing their own things. Just have them decide for themselves whether that potentially 15 penetrating damage is worth just taking a turn to attack the ogre anyway. Uh, which you know does have that seven armor rating and eighty health. It's a it's a pretty thick creature. Yeah, uh, looks like Mark has another question here about ogres. Yes, yeah. uh, he's asking, how do you handle skirmish against an ogre? Does each uh, does each uh, stunt point only move at one yard, or do you need to spend twice the number of uh, stunt points, or do you deny it altogether? That is a fair question. Uh, very rare are the creatures that totally forbid forced movement. Yes. Unless I'm wrong, it's only like it's, dragons yeah. and broodmothers. And, and the archdemon. The big big Yeah. <laughs> the biggins. Yeah. And I don't know. The To me, if an ogre is only 10 to 15 feet tall, it... I think it's still fairly reasonable to say, okay, you lured it over to this side. It's not very smart. Right. Uh, or, you know, you managed to slam your shield into its stomach and knock it backwards uh, a little bit. That's, right. uh, I don't know that I'd penalize that. If uh, Now, it, I would say, if, especially in the case of you making like an, an elite heroic or epic ogre, you could probably make it like bigger and heavier. Uh, there is an, a special there is a, a special quality that they have in Fantasy Age just called big. Uh, it just means <laughs> that, <laughs> and it pretty much actually does uh, what you were what you were mentioning is um, it it's, it is a larger creature, so its attacks actually deal a little extra damage um, because they're just bigger creatures. And um, knock prone and skirmish require an extra stunt point uh, per use of those stunts to affect them. Um, and I think that's it. Yeah. I'll definitely have to crack that out. So, I picked up the, the bestiary with the bundle of holding uh, a couple months back. And, ooh, and nice. I haven't re- I managed to re- read through it all yet. Yeah, I've I've devoured those books several <laughs> times. So I, I found a couple of neat little toys. Uh, and I like that one. And I think they've also got one for like giant sized if you want to make them really big. Nice. Uh, where which I think it works pretty much just like the dragon and archdemon and uh, Vartaro abilities, like knock prone and skirmish just don't work yeah. on this person. All right. So uh, next question was uh, when you have the taint and you get minus one per week on all tests, does that include damage rolls? And thinking it's only ability test is written, but I could see it making sense both ways. And I'm kind of there with you. 
I, I can see that. It makes sense. Uh, by default, damage rolls aren't tests because they're not they're Correct. not against some certain number. So rules as written, no, but it makes total sense that if a, if a creature is being weakened by, by the blight or by any disease, really, that they're going to deal less damage. So I don't personally see an issue yeah. with that, but rules as written, no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I completely agree. If it makes sense for your game, you should definitely do it. But if you're looking for just what the core book says, then damage rolls are separate kinds of rolls. All right. Well, thank you, Mark. Appreciate all the questions. Thank you, uh, Michael slash M. Garrett. Uh, of course, for those of you out there listening, if you have a question about the Dragon Age RPG, whether it's mechanics, build suggestions, questions about lore, clarifications about old episodes, anything else, send a message to podcast at gmail.com. You can send it to us through our Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Google+, or SoundCloud accounts, or send a personal message to Kot the Protector or HealerPuff on the Green Onion forums, or send a message to Kot or Elise on the D20 radio forums. That's still not That's me. me. And, well, <laughs> fair enough. I suppose you could also reach us on our new Patreon account now that we've got one. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it will, uh, I'll plug it later, so we'll, we'll save ourselves the, creators, the huh? uh, But incidentally, exactly, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but you got to make it worth our while. <laughs> Uh, incidentally, uh, for uh, let's see, we're uh, uh, hanging out with the creators. I think we got a little hmm. something here in our dissonant verses. Do you ever wonder what lies at the edges of the map, past the seas? No. I think we have enough to worry about on this continent. Uh, of course, but. <sighs> Welcome to the dissonant verses, and uh, I believe I'll let you take this one away, Andy. Man. Um, I, last time I was here, I plugged this as well, but uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna give one last shot because uh, Gen Con's event reg goes live this Sunday, May sixth, and as Ooh. I mentioned uh, a few episodes ago, that I'll be I'll be running uh, Dragon Age uh, at Gen Con, my uh, my Inquisition era game, Silver Wings on a Black Wall. Uh, if you are so inclined, drop that into your into your wish list. Uh, I have sessions at Thursday at 7 p.m., Friday 7 p.m., and then Sunday at 9 a.m. But if you can't make the trip to Indianapolis, I'm also running it online. Um, some of my good friends over at the RPG Academy, uh, are, they have a in-person convention held in Dayton called a Catacon every year but this year as a fundraiser for a catacon and uh as well as for a couple of different charities that the guys there support are they're holding a catacon line uh Very that'll cool. be uh that'll be friday may 18th to sunday may 20th and on that sunday may 20th i'll be running the same set, uh, same scenario silver wings on a black wall 1 p.m on sunday um I have the I have the links listed here. Uh, if you don't mind Ooh. dropping those in the show notes, uh, people Absolutely. can get more information. There are a number of great uh, great events that are already set up, ready to go. You know, D and D, some Call of Cthulhu, a whole pile of stuff. So Excellent. if you're so inclined, uh, all those all the games for a Catacon line are online. So you know, you could be across the country, across the world, and we can we can be slinging some D sixes. Sweet, that sounds like the way to be. All right. All right. Yeah, check that out. We'll definitely put that in our blog post uh, for all of you to for all of you to witness and take a look. Uh, 
Let's see. Um, and of course, uh, all of our other submissions to the one uh, to the uh, Disney verses you can find in our resources for your game page on our blog, onedesthetispodcast.wordpress.com. And uh, if you want to share your Dragon Age RPG custom content, you can, of course, use all the channels that I just mentioned. All right. Well, uh, I think we have been. Uh, I think we've uh, perhaps been feeling a bit shackled by all these. Uh, other show, all these other show uh, segues and segments that we've been, let's say we've been trudging through. You can say we've been marching through them. Oh, if you didn't do it, I was going to. <laughs> <laughs> well, now that we're on the other side, we're free marchers. This is the main topic for today. Is it fate or chance? I can never decide. So, you're a free marcher. Uh, turn to pages 21 and 22 of the Dragon Age role-playing game core book, and you can see the background for yourself. It doesn't go across uh, around a page, so just fair warning. Um, and we'll start with the simple question, what is a free marcher? Uh, simply put, you are a proud citizen of a culturally diverse for, uh, the free marches. Culturally diverse free marches, a coalition of independent city-states in the center of the continent of Thetis. Free marches are the breadbasket of Thetis, sitting in fertile valleys and hills touching nearly every other nation's borders. Many of the city-states that aren't on the coast are on the Minanta River, the source of fertile land of the free marches. Uh, and this is this is a nice, broad, open, and uh, open to uh, and easy to create for background. This is the it's the sort of background where, if especially if you have someone who's new to the setting and is just kind of learning about all this, it's very easy to to drop them in uh, as a free marcher, as opposed to oh, you're an Orlesian, which which is going to come with all the the intricacies of the game, even as a commoner. Or as a Ferelden, which you know is it's dealing true. with the blight, obviously. So uh, the free marchers can really be and a dogs. nice uh, yeah, and dogs. Um, the free uh, the free marchers can really be a nice. I, I hate to say generic human, but uh, a great entry point in that, room, mm. in that regard. <laughs> I mean, that is a good point. I hadn't thought about that. I like that. Something nice and mm -hmm. uh, neutral so that you can kind of and and, you know, free marchers often become adventurers anyway. So it's it can be very easy to just kind of grab and go with a free marcher if you're not sure what else to go with. Uh, that being said, we will be definitely helping you out with some of those free marcher uh, nitty gritty details. Oh, yeah. Lots of ways you can take this. Oh, definitely. Uh, marchers can be really anybody. Uh, it generally assumes that you are human, uh, but elves, uh, elves, for example, would likely take the Dalish elf, city elf, or escaped elven slave backgrounds. But if your elf is well off or living in conditions that don't seem to fit the other elven backgrounds, you could very easily use this to represent their upbringing as a marcher. Uh, and maybe to an extent, a dwarf. Potentially, although in most cases that tends to go towards the surface dwarf background. But, you know, if it feels more appropriate, Free Marcher is a very egalitarian and open to interpretation background. Ooh, I knocked some stuff over. Don't knock that over. And we soldier on. Uh, marchers are strong-minded, independent, business savvy, great warriors, farmers, all that and more. 
No two marchers are the same, and this background can accommodate a multitude of character concepts and personalities. Uh, most do not call themselves marchers. Most refer to themselves as proud citizens of their city state of origins. I'm not a marcher. I'm from Wycombe. I'm from Kirkwall. I'm from Tantervale. Because they do so much trade with many nations, free marchers can seem a bit more worldly. Uh, they meet people from uh, plenty of cultures, uh, and they uh, speaking lots of languages, trading lots of uh, foreign goods, so they can seem very cosmopolitan. This, of course, does not necessarily mean that they have uh, no feelings of fear that foreign powers are encroaching on their territory. They definitely do that, too, just like everybody else. Uh, just the free marchers tend more towards open-mindedness compared to many of their neighbors. Yeah. Um, I think that's actually reflected in the mechanics, and I'll get to that in a little bit because uh, there seems to be a lot of mm-hmm. travel going on between between the cities of the free market. Definitely. Oh yeah, it seems to be setting you up to be quite the merchant. Mm-hmm. Uh, while the marchers and their respective city states rarely have much in common, they have been known to unite under dire circumstances, such as the Blight or a Kunari invasion. This united front becomes a force that no power in Thetis can ignore. A real ragtag army, but they can top they can topple nations if they need to. Well, when you're when you're carrying most of most of uh, known Thetis's food and you know most of their mercantile uh, abilities true. right there, you know people are going to sit up and pay some attention. Yes, thank goodness. Uh, the free marches are mostly Andrastian in their faith, uh, and so are you, very likely. But this is no bastion of faith like Orle is. Unless you go to Tantravale. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. They don't sound like they're a lot of fun there. Not yeah. particularly, unless you're running with Red Jennies. Ooh, then that's lots of fun. <laughs> Definitely, for sure. Uh, so, to give you some examples that perhaps you may have already noticed, uh, who in Dragon Age has this background? we got a couple suggestions here. Did you want to go ahead and uh, take a couple of these? Uh, we start off with uh, Sebastian Vale, of course, who, uh, who may or may not end up as the Prince of Starkhaven, uh, Marcher through and through. Right. Um, it's true. Also, Blackwall, uh, who takes great pride in uh, his prowess at the Grand Tourney. Oh, yeah. He tells you all about whether, it. Sounds like a cool story. that's deserved or not, that remains to be seen. Of course. <clears throat> mm. <laughs> uh, the whole Amel family, uh, including potentially Hawk, depending. It's uh, true. Leandra, Gamlin, Charade, if, if, if you didn't catch the Tantra reference that earlier. Um, uh-huh. We also have, of course, uh, the Knight Commander herself, Meredith, um, though she's Ooh, much more yeah. statue like now. <laughs> Yeah, no one's brave enough to poke Meredith uh, these days. And if you chose in your playthrough of Dragon Age Inquisition, perhaps, if you were a Trevelyan, you likely came from the Free Marches. I believe uh, an Inquisitor who is a human mage comes from the Ostwick Circle. Something like that. Yep. There's a there's a bit of dialogue I want to say during the Wicked Eyes and Wicked Hearts quest where um, mm-hmm. they talk about uh, the Inquisitor's aunt loving Orlesian opera and it's <laughs> oh dear it's something else fantastic mm-hmm. oh man you're travailing your family is really excited that you're the Inquisitor mm-hmm. uh, definitely the Herald of Andraste. 
That's a that's a bit of a social boost right there. Oh yeah, be the talk of everyone's ball. Mm-hmm. Now there are a few other you know free marchers that identified free as free marchers, but probably took some other background. Notably, mm-hmm. our great storyteller Varric, uh, more likely took the surface dwarf <laughs> um, mm-hmm. background, and. Vivienne, the Iron Lady, of course, is probably going to take either an Orlesian noble uh, background or Circle Mage. Uh, although she is, I, I hear she is actually from Wycombe, you mm-hmm. know, Party Scandalous. City. Scandalous. Ooh, Escandalo. <laughs> no, I, I don't think I'd bring that up around her. <laughs> yeah, well, apparently, yeah, she brings it up to Varric, but, you know, they're both marchers, and then they start trash-talking all the other city-states, so, you know, it's all good. Exactly. You know, Starkhaven is just a collection of howling barbarians. <laughs> That's not inaccurate. <laughs> Which is only slightly more pleasant than Tantervale. <laughs> so, uh, mechanics. What does this background do for you? Okay, well, the core thing, of course, you, you get a bump to your cunning. And cunning is good for pretty much every class across the board. All your lore tests are cunning-based. You know, it has one of the longer uh, focus lists right there. Really Who doesn't like being smarter? Exactly. Uh, um, You'll also get to choose either uh, cunning evaluation or communication bargaining. So uh, you mentioned that uh, leading towards being a merchant earlier, both of those very critical for uh, any would-be would be merchant. Mm-hmm. Um, within the 2D6 table, I noticed two things in particular. First yeah. off, at your 7 8, um, you have. Um, pardon me as I as I move. I missed that completely. Um, <laughs> I looked at the wrong table. Oh. Um, you get actually plus one communication. Yes. So you're going to be a talker. You're going to be. Um, you're going to be continually placed in that role where you can, you can be the social face, regardless of mm-hmm. whether you're a warrior or rogue or you know, probably not mage. There's a um, couple other communication focuses in here, noticeably uh, gambling and deception. Deception, cultural lore, uh, very useful as well. Oh, definitely. Um, all of those, uh, in fact, kind of, if you don't have, you know, your tricky or lesion in the party, you could very easily be the master negotiator. You could be, oh, you know, the, the canny merchant. You could be, you know, the inspiring leader, uh, you know, running troops through the uh, through their paces. You have uh, a lot of uh, a lot of good potential in that regard as a free marcher. Mm-hmm. I think this is a really good background for rogues in particular. Um, but it yeah, also definitely. it shores up some things that warriors don't usually get a lot of access to or end up focusing mm-hmm. on. So it can be good for rounding them out. Yeah. And on the extremes, you have your, your two and your 12. You have constitution and dexterity. So there is that outside chance that you'll get a bump to one of your more combat applicable stats. Yes. Very helpful. Always good. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. And then uh, moving on, we'll do a quick history of the free marches, and it is a little scattered, actually, based on what I could find. Because, I mean, every city-state keeps track of its own history. People don't usually – 
I mean, people outside of the free marches look at this big swath of the map that's just labeled free marches, and they assume that it's like one big country that's got one ruler and one one army, and that could not be farther from the truth. Exactly. So, There's just uh, so much difference there. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, uh, so a lot of this, a lot of the history that I found uh, that wasn't like generally applicable to the free marches was just like this bad thing happened over here, and this bad thing happened over here, <laughs> which I mean is generally most of Dragon Age's history. To be fair, um, yeah, that, there's a, there's a fair amount of bad things. But I did find a couple of neat little nuggets that could potentially help uh, future campaigns or even historical campaigns. So, uh, originally, the cities of the Free Marches were Planocene villages and settlements, or settlements that were built by the Tevinters who took over much of Thetis in the ancient, er- in the ancient era. Uh, after Andraste's rebellion, and after Mafaroth's betrayal was made known, and as Tevinter recovered from the First Blight and that rebellion... Uh, the city-states, uh, several of them took their chances to declare independence and defend for themselves. Um, some cities remained under control for a while, while some grew. Navarra grew so much that it eventually became a nation in its own right, eventually breaking off from the Free Marches as its own country. The last battle of the Second Blight took place at Starkhaven in 195. It was a uh, very bloody battle. There were massacres on both sides, but the Archdemon was killed. Uh, in two, 215 Glory Age, Starkhaven's King Phyrus began launching campaigns to unite the Free Marches under him and Starkhaven. He failed miserably. He did not take any cities, uh, ran several campaigns over several decades, and made just no progress. But apparently he did make allies with Tevinters, who eventually, surprise, turned on him, uh, and they took his city of Starkhaven. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Next thing you know, it's 280, and uh, the Chantry is calling for an exalted march to liberate Starkhaven from the Imperium. So, thanks, guys, I guess. Let's see. Uh, fast forward about 500 years to uh, 756 Storm, and the Kunari have landed at Ostwick, and they're launching attacks to take the march of cities of Starkhaven and Kirkwall. Uh, they were repelled, and an Orlesian uh, liberated the city of Kirkwall, which caused Kirkwall to join the Orlesian Empire for a little while, and even take the name of Viscount for their head of state. And then, uh, jumping forward again in 882 Blessed, Navarra, city, uh, Navarra begins their own campaigns of conquest after conquering Hasmal and Perindale. They were turned away by the machinations of a single individual, Cade Arvale, who was named Champion of Tantervale for their deeds. Lots of stuff there, and of course, our biggest vista into into the history and the free marches is, of course, Dragon Age Two, where wherein we get to see uh, uh-huh. the rise of the champion of Kirkwall, you know, Hawk, for and sure, and the inevitable destruction that arises from all that. You know, fun stuff. Of course. So, uh, you're going to be a free marcher, so you don't, I mean, if you're just kind of jumping in and trying things out, it does work as a very neutral sort of party, uh, or at least a party who's eager to learn about the outside world. But assuming that you want to get a little more specific, we've got some quick profiles of, and and some of these are very quick because this is literally all the information that, that is available for them. Uh, with of course the exception of one city state, but you'll know which one. Mm-hmm. Guess which one it is. Ansberg. Um, but starting in alphabetical order. <laughs> Ansberg! 
Ansberg, <laughs> you know, that, that great place that uh, so heavily in Inquisition now. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Who could ever forget uh, the pie-eating contest? Man, Let's I never thought Ansberg. I'd like quick time events in a Dragon a Age pie. game, but that's a lot. <laughs> 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 Woo! All right. I mean, when that rage demon came out of the and just started throwing the pies, you know, things just got a little hectic. Uh, any, anyway, uh, Ansberg is often referred to as a backwater city-state, uh, but it is a strong center of agricultural trade. Its own citizens would prefer the terms beautiful and bustling. Uh, Hasmal uh, is a little farther up the Minanta River. Uh, it is also the closest of the uh, of the city states to Tevinter, where they often end up taking in Tevinter refugees, typically escaped slaves. Now, what happens to those refugees? I don't know. Yeah, it's a mystery. Maybe you can answer that in your campaigns. Wink, wink. Indeed. Uh, the next one is Hercinia. Persinia is a near idyllic coastal vacation spot on the Amaranthine coast. The city-state is grand and palatial, and likely houses several vacation homes for the wealthy Athetis. This image is only slightly soured by the frequent raider activity from the sea. Also, the taxes are impressive. <laughs> yeah, the, that's uh, sort of great. Very place. close to Westwatch. Yep, that's a sort mm-hmm. of great place if you wanna if you wanna run a you know, beach blanket bingo sort of Dragon Age game. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet. Yep. Finally, we found it. <laughs> so Markham is considered to be Ansberg's sister city. They also have very strong agricultural identity. That's helped them construct one of the largest universities in Thetis, where they focus on agricultural studies. But if you want to play that learned sage type of character, Markham might not be a bad place. You could be the Hufflepuff you always wanted to be and just talk about plants all the time. <laughs> And of course, we come to Kirkwall. Oh, Kirkwall. Uh, uh, some quick little factoids you might not know about. Uh, formerly, it was called Amarius. It was the center of the Tevinter slave trade. The city itself was constructed with the goal of breaking the spirits of their primary trade. Uh, the city was liberated after the first blight, renamed Kirkwall after the Darkstone Cliffs. It gained a reputation as a series of warlords tried to take the city from one another. The city was eventually occupied by the Kunari after ca- attacking Ostwick, but was liberated by Sir Michel Lafayette. I, I, I think I'm butchering that completely. Uh, who then ruled the city as an Orlesian colony. Uh, eventually, the city, of course, rebelled and became independent. Now go play Dragon Age 2. <laughs> all of Dragon Age 2. Literally all of, all of Dragon Age 2. You'll you'll get so much more out of Dragon Age 2 than hearing us mumble about it on the internet. Absolutely. it's uh, uh, I love how that city was just realized in that. Uh, I mean, oh, Dragon Age 2 yeah. has its foibles, it has it has its issues, but... You know, For sure. But Kirkwall feels like a living city in that game. It really um, does. Next up is Ostwick. Ostwick was the first place where the Canari landed in the Free Marches when they attempted the grand expansion in the Storm Age. Ostwick is still kind of paranoid about this. They have giant double walls uh, to protect them when slash if the Canari ever return. Yeah, man, if you keep hearing the way that the Canari companions put it, it's just, it's probably going to be Dragon Age 4. Incoming. <laughs> we'll do better next time, Stan says. Yep. That's when I start sweating. <laughs> 
All right. Oh, good old Starkhaven. What can we do without Starkhaven? Uh, a lot. <laughs> uh, Starkhaven is the largest and most opulent city in the Free Marches. Their buildings are known to be built from precious, precious materials like marble with gold decor. Its opulence may even be competition for Valrael. Uh, it has no circle anymore as it burned to the ground a while ago. It may or may not have a prince, depending on your Dragon Age 2 playthrough. Seriously, go play Dragon Age 2. It's cool. I mean, you get a companion who will not ever stop talking about Starkhaven and the Chantry. I, I don't want to be the prince. Do you think I should be the prince? No, 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 no. That's that's not what we're doing here. But you know, um, you know, prince. Can we focus mm-hmm. on no. fighting the blood mages now? <laughs> oh, Sebastian. Can I romance you only if you're a lady? Hmm. <laughs> Can I take your armor? It looks really slick. That is true. He, he does have one of the, the better looking armor sets in that game. It's true. Uh, next up, Tantervale. We uh, mentioned a bit earlier. Tantervale holds Chantry law above any other law. So that law, <laughs> a crime that would get you a slap on the wrist somewhere else, will put you in the dungeon, in the stocks. Uh, law enforcement is strict, obsessed in, with their duty. If you're going there, uh, you best mind your P's and Q's. Then again, oh, yeah. could uh, make an you, excellent you know, uh, intrigue campaign. Uh, yeah, if you meet up with a certain red Jenny, that could Ooh. be uh, that could be a very interesting uh, setting. That that'd be very intriguing. Mm-hmm. Play some jokes on the Tangervales. I guess I should be a little less oblique with that. One of the, it's a, it's insinuated that Charade from Dragon Age Two becomes a Red Jenny in Tantervale, which Ooh. is then referenced in Inquisition. Uh, nice the War Table mission: Red Jenny and the Tantervale Charade. Uh, well, there we go. <laughs> well, there we go. Dang, I I completely forgot about that one. Ooh, she's <laughs> playing on hard mode. There. <laughs> She's doing this on nightmare mode. Uh, oh yeah. Well, you know, good for her. Yeah, really. Live your dream. Uh, speaking of living the dream, uh, the last big one to mention is Wycombe, which is essentially party city of Thetis. Um, Wycombe is the uh, is the second largest importer of Antivan wine in Thetis, uh, just behind Orlais itself. Uh, which is uh, considering that they're. That their population is less than a third of Valrael. It is considered the freest of the free marches. That that is a lot of wine right there. That's a good time. Yep. I think there's a. Oh man. I think there was a. Uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, I don't know if they went to Wycombe. Maybe they went to a, like a, an Antivan party, or maybe it was a Ravani party. Uh, somewhere, uh, somewhere up north. Just uh, it. It had journal entry. They got progressively more drunk. They couldn't find their pants the next morning. I remember it's, this one. I don't. Oh. So it's a I think it's in the I, second I, World of Thetis book. I have to go looking for it. I'll find I, it later. I can't remember it offhand. Um, <laughs> one last place kind of bears discussion, even though it's not technically part of the free marches, is Estwatch. Which, if you want mm-hmm. pirates. We got your pirates here. <laughs> this is where you find them. Exactly. Um, that is the one thing that Estwatch is known for, is the, the numerous uh, sea raiders there and all their assorted goodness that goes along with that. 
Mm-hmm. It's kind of, it is known as a port of call for pirates and ne'er-do-wells. It's kind of a sister port to Lamarin that's up in the north by Ravain. Um, Tevinter settled it a long time ago. They fortified it. They actually like built forts and fortifications. And of course, you know, had slaving and military operations like they do. Um, after the first blight, they kind of left it. Uh, and through the Divine and Glory Ages, it just kind of stayed there. Uh, it got a reputation as being a cursed island. Um, during the Storm Age, it was actually used by the Kunari as a launching point for their naval campaigns. Um, but um, one of the big things that helped push the Kunari back was the Felicima Armada, which was basically the uh, nations of Thetis looking to all the pirates on the sea and be like, help could you help us? These guys have nice boats. We're not good with boats yet. Uh, and then the Felice Marmoto's like, we're, we're, we're good with boats. We'll do. We'll help you out. Um, so, you know, they helped Thetis out, but then they kind of kept Lamarin, and they also have kept Estwatch. So, and I think that's been, uh, uh, attempts have been made by the free marches to take it over, but those pirates, they're just good with boats, man. Sea turtles, mate. <laughs> no, if you if you want Tortuga in your in your Dragon Age game, hey, if you want to if you want to go hang out with Isabella, and you know if you like big boats and you cannot lie, go to Astwatch. <laughs> Pirates. I mean, that's the, we're probably gonna have to bring that up again for the Waking Sea Raider when we eventually do that one. Yeah, definitely. Easily. Uh, now, uh, these people are of course all very. Uh, unique and disparate and uh, uh, and independent but if there's what there are uh, two things bring free marchers together uh, the impending destruction and the grand tourney uh, the one let's see do you know it's a traveling collection of contests that settles in various cities by the season they attract marchers from across uh, from city states across the country to participate in contests of skill like knife throwing or wrestling or drinking and uh more recently uh they set up a thing called the mages meadow where they actually have members of the various circles of magi come around and show off their magical set their magical shows it's uh that's exactly what i was about to ask you it's been a while since i've read this adventure uh mm -hmm. and i recalled something about that where uh you can have you know your mage duels in the middle of uh in the middle of this so it's not just your not just your standard gladiatorial gladiatorial free-for-all it definitely is that as well but you can also have the mages participate definitely it's it's pretty nice it's um it it of course, we're mentioning uh, a very particular adventure uh, that is in the Dragon Age core rulebook. So if you'd like to take your players on a tour of the Grand Tourney itself, you know, just grab your core rulebook and, and turn to the adventure The Autumn Falls, which starts on page 363. Take a look. It's really dang cool. Um, uh, I've played uh, this adventure, or I, I ran it actually, but we had a we had a blast with yeah. it. Yeah, I, I like the fact that it's very. I don't want to say open ended, but there are a lot of plot threads that interweave within that within the overarching scope of the of the journey. That, oh yeah. Um, you know, your players can investigate one thing or look into something else, or um, there are a lot of different. It's avenues. got a lot of turns. It's mm -hmm. a lot of fun. 
Uh, and, and of course, the big plot thread uh, that starts it is that every year, every few years, the Grand Tourney gets a wealthy patron who can sponsor the legendary Contest of Arms, a grand combat tournament that even draws the attention of neighboring nations. Uh, and, you know, you might get to participate in the Contest of Arms in this adventure. You should check it out. It's really oh, yeah. cool. Uh, what level uh, is it for... It I think that's right. I think I adjusted it. Yeah, that looks about right. Five to fifth, seventh level. Invited, compelled, or simply decide to try their luck in the Grand Tourney of the Free Marches. But yeah, plus it really get uh, it really gets that that feeling across of everyone comes to the Grand Tourney because you have a, a fair amount oh, yeah. of very disparate groups involved in this adventure. I'm not going to spoil anything here for someone who might play it, but there's a, you get a good sampling cool. from all over Thetis. For sure. Uh, so definitely check that out. Um, one more little tidbit that is important to touch upon uh, is the ch- is Champions. Uh, champion is a unique is a title that is unique to the free marches and it's a place that it's it's a title that could really only exist in the free marches uh, because it is such a I guess nebulous title um, it is a mark of legends and history there is no specific way to obtain this title there's no ceremony there's no court and there's no path that can tell you how to become a champion champions just kind of happen they are named by uh, city-states individually, as in, like, Champion of Kirkwall, Champion of Tantervale, Champion of Starkhaven, etc., uh, in reverence for deeds that, while charitable or cruel, it, it can be either, have changed lives and potentially history. And this is... But you yeah. are marked... As this is the sort watch. of thing that can make a really great long-term goal if you're setting out on character creation and you know um, that your Ooh. campaign is going to take place in the in the free marches. You could say, "I want to become champion of Wycombe or wherever your character wants to be Ooh, from." I like so, I mean, that gives your GM a signal and say, "Hey, let's take this character home and give them the chance to be the big damn hero." Uh, and think of what a really boss honorific that would be oh, yeah. in game. I mean, they, uh, <laughs> oh yeah, bonus and, like, to all communication. only get named like once every age. Yeah. Oh yeah, champion of Kirkwall. I mean, like if you're in the free marches, people are gonna people are gonna mm-hmm. get out of your way. While in the cha- while in the city, you are champion of. You never pay for food. You never pay for a drink. <laughs> never. If you're not in your city, you get, I mean, like, I, I, I guess, you know, champions only get named every, like, mm-hmm. couple of centuries. So it'd probably be something like plus five on, commu- on communication or uh, social tests in, other, in, in free march or city states. Probably less so in, like, neighboring nations, but you could be, like, a plus two or a plus but three. But even still, I mean, in terms, of, in terms of the lore we have available, you know, Hawk, Hawk's name is put right alongside, you know, the Warden and the Warden Commander. It's like, oh, these people saved us from the void. Sure. Oh, they're the champion of Kirkwall. Okay. <laughs> this guy saved us from the Kunari, the whole yep. Arashok. Like, that whole Arashok was right there. So definitely, that's a status bump right there, and that that's the sort of thing that makes mm-hmm. a great late campaign or, or even even mid campaign reward if you want to take the the DA two route, where 
now that you have that mm-hmm. title, you have a responsibility. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, it could not be an honorific and instead be a title that gives you like access to, you know, like a monthly mm-hmm. paycheck and troops, but may, but definitely a responsibility. I mean, they're they're going to be, they're going to be calling on their champion when the Canari or the Tevinter or, you know, the exalted March gets declared on them or the elves decide to unite oh. behind a, a leader calling himself the dread wolf, you know, Oh, 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 man, you know, like that could ever happen. At least not for a couple of years. <laughs> uh, we've all been hurt so much. Uh, so uh, to leave you off, we're going to give you a couple of plot hooks, some things that you can use right away to help spice up your game with some free marcher action or, you know, give uh, maybe be a campaign seed or maybe even like a goal for one of the PCs. So uh, a a distant descendant of King Phyrus, or at least someone who claims they are, has begun to amass political allies and armed forces to reignite the campaigns his ancestor began. His goal is to unite the free marches, but he has something that his ancestor did not. Blood mages. And lots of them. <sighs> blood mages. Why is it always blood mages? <laughs> always blood mages. They make the world Apparently. go wrong. Um, alternatively, uh, this one kind of a lead-in for the uh, for the Autumn Falls adventure, if you're planning on... Um, mm-hmm. If you need a way to get your, uh, get your players over to the free marches... The Grand Tourney has drawn a large number of nobles from the marches, Orle and Ferelden. The heroes have been hired on as bodyguards for an enterprising young noblewoman who seeks to establish trade agreement in between rounds of the tournament. However, her efforts have gained the ire of several other marcher nobles, bringing a dash of the great game to the forthcoming tournament. Ooh. So many dances. <laughs> so many, so much death. And it provides a nice sort of like balance it. between okay we're going to go here's your here's your first round combat match one-on-one and then once they're done with that you know we're back into something a little more social so it provides a nice balance between social role like type it. encounters and straight up i need to hit something now encounter excellent i like it all right uh how about an excavation in ruined kirkwall has led the discovery of a labyrinth of tevinter ruins beneath the city's low town the city's templars have forbidden any from exploring the ruins though a refugee mage claims that the truth behind the city's foundations lie within can anyone say dungeon crawl Mm -hmm. uh this one's especially nice because if you if you can pull the if you can pull the codex entries for like the band of three from dragon age two, you can, you have pre-built, you know, snippets from of lore that you can hand your players almost instantaneously and find out what's really going on uh, in those Kirkwall streets. I like it. I like it. As one more, uh, there's a neat bit of uh, lore that occurs differently depending on, how you played through Dragon Age 2, during the events of Inquisition, if Sebastian becomes Prince of Starkhaven, he could potentially be a great ally in helping to rebuild Kirkwall. However, if you did not necessarily agree with Sebastian and his you know, very pro-chantry views, Sebastian attempts to invade Kirkwall. 
that can be the subject of a full campaign all by itself, wherein no we kidding. have outright war in the uh, in the free marches. Ooh. You've got to decide if you're going to be helping out to that, uh, and see that, uh, guard captain and see, oh my goodness, I'm forgetting her name. And I feel like such a bad person. Aveline. Aveline. Thank you. <laughs> you're all right. <laughs> uh, guard captain Aveline's going to need your help. Keep an order in the city. Mm-hmm. And for that matter, you know, do you, do you side with Sebastian attempting to bring order to unruly messed up blood mage filled Kirkwall? Or do you, you know, side with the fallen Kirkwall as Aveline attempts to keep order and, you know, they manage to try to keep the city alive for all intents and purposes? Yeah, that sounds that sounds like an excellent campaign, honestly. Mm-hmm. <sighs> that is a long march. Oh, that is a long march. Ah. <laughs> <sighs> I feel freed by this experience, though. Mm-hmm. Oh, it may be a bit of a pop in my back, but you know, <laughs> one of, it's, it, that that goes with it. So, thank you so much for listening to the show. If you like what we do, please consider supporting us on our new Patreon, uh, and you can not only get double votes, double uh, worth votes on later episodes, you can get the show a week early. If we get enough support, we can meet you with a Discord channel, start inviting people onto the show with us, become a weekly show, or even start a new show for other age games. Man. No. The, the possibilities are limitless here. It's it's true. I mean, like a whole extra podcast. I've already been uh, considering some ideas and drafting some stuff for uh, just talking about Fantasy Age and uh, Blue Rose and Titan's Grave and eventually getting into Modern Age and The Expanse. Well, of course, if you if you if you ever need someone to come on to talk about you know, role playing in general, or if you want to start uh, working into other systems, you know where to find me, brother. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. <laughs> so, uh, if you like to keep, and of course, anything you can tr- contribute is appreciated. You can find a link to our Patreon on our blog and in the post for the show. If you'd like to keep up with the show, you can follow us on our social media. Feel free to leave a comment or a question or even tell us how your Dragon Age games are going. Feel free to comment on our show on SoundCloud. And if you can, please leave us a review on iTunes. It does help us out. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it gets us uh, looking better on the metrics. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. All about them numbers. All about them numbers. We just passed, uh, SoundCloud has told me that we just passed 16,000 plays. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's really it's it's really cool. Um, it's it's very humbling mm-hmm. to know that folks are enjoying this as much as we are. Oh yeah, that's great, and it's always a pleasure to be able to talk with you guys about this. I you know, <laughs> as much as I as much as I love being in Gamer Mecca here, there's not a whole lot of not a lot of call for Dragon Age, so I got to get it where I can. Excellent. Well, we're happy to help with that for sure. <laughs> All right. Well. We should start signing off. This is Ren wishing lots of sixes on that dragon die. And this is Andy keeping the dread wolf off your trail. Thank you so much for listening to the Wonders of Thetis podcast. We'll catch you next time. Bye-bye. Cheers. Cheers.